It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. This morning, I decided to not set an alarm to wake up and just let myself sleep however long I wanted to sleep. And I ended up waking up at noon. And this was an interesting experience because on one hand, clearly my body needed the sleep and not setting an alarm was something that I hadn't done in quite some time. I don't even remember the last day I I didn't set an alarm to wake up. So not using an alarm to wake up, I kind of anticipated that my body would be like, oh, we're kind of in alignment with this regular wake-up time, which was clearly not the case. So when I woke up and looked at the time, it's interesting to observe how my state of being shifted because I woke up feeling really rested. You know, I was like, oh man, I feel I feel great. I knew I had slept and I just didn't know how long. But then as soon as I looked and I looked at the time and saw it was a few minutes before noon, my state of being immediately shifted into feeling guilty and into feeling angry at myself for sleeping in that long and for feeling like, you know, half the day is already gone and I'm an hour away from recording the podcast with you, Whitney. I've got all this bullshit to do. I just, you know, it, it, it was like, instead of celebrating the fact that I had allowed myself to just rest, I was angry and I was guilty and I felt a lot of frustration. And I think that I want to touch on this for today's episode because it's a good it's a good touch-off point, I think, to discuss a few things. One, I think as I go through life, I realize that for as much work and time and energy as I spend sometimes healing old wounds or limiting beliefs or things like that, I will think that I've done all this work and there are situations where I will find myself making progress and then something like this, which, which in the grand scheme of things, it's it's really nothing. I know that, you know, logically it's like, okay, so I, you know, I slept until noon on a Saturday. So fucking what? But it's the old, really deeply embedded beliefs around hard work and worthiness. And I think, you know, a lot of the tentacles of our capitalist system, which really kind of infects us with the mentality that it's not okay to rest. And if we take too much rest, that that's a bad thing. And if we decide to take care of ourselves too much, that's a bad thing. And we should feel guilty about it. So it's interesting how something as innocuous as, you know, sleeping until noon has brought up all this, just all this stuff for me to look at this morning. And... It's interesting because on one on the one hand, I know that I haven't been getting enough sleep. I've been working too hard. I've been working too much. I haven't had a day off in probably a month. I've been working every weekend and I'm fucking sick of it and I'm fucking tired and I'm grumpy as shit. 
And it's like, you know, the one day that I decide to sleep in, then my mind, you know, these belief systems are like, oh, Jason, you're, you, you can't do this because you've got all this. It's like, I just realized, Whitney, I'm exhausted on like a deep core level and I'm so frustrated with life right now and I just don't even know what to do about it. I'm at a point where I'm just like, you know, and I know I've said this before, but like, I just want to quit everything and just like rest for a month, which I know that that on one level is probably like something that would be good for me because I'd have to face all of these limiting belief systems and all of this old rhetoric that makes me want to feel guilty and shameful for like taking time to rejuvenate. But I think like, I need like a lot of time to recharge right now because I feel drained every day. I feel drained on every fucking level. And I talked to my family about this back in Detroit. I was talking to my mom the other day and she's like, yeah, you know, my cousin, Steve and Jenny that are closest to me in age, they're like a sister and a brother, honestly, you know, they're in a situation, my mom, every, basically everyone back home who's working, right. Has been dealing with this thing of their employers feeling like, well, you're working from home so we can reach you and ask you to do anything anytime because we know you're home and we know your phone's on and we know your computer's on. So I know it's not just me because even my family has been reflecting the fact that they are absolutely exhausted. They're, they're fed up. They're tired. They're being ground into the, you know, the dirt by their employer and their, their boss is asking them to do stuff constantly. And it's like, is this like, I don't even know what I want to say about this anymore. It feels like, you know, we are in such a vicious cycle right now of overwork and no one really taking time to psychologically, mentally, physically recover from everything we've been going through. And it's just push, 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 push more and more and more. And what's the alternative? What, like, you and I talk a lot, Whitney, about, you know, the mechanistic brutality of corporatism and capitalism and everything that we are under. But I don't see a way out of it other than to just say, fuck it and move to the forest. Like I'm at a point now where it feels like I'm trapped and we're all trapped and there doesn't seem to be a way out. (laughs) So it's funny how just sleeping in for, you know, four hours longer than I usually do would bring all this stuff up, but it did. And it's, um, I know that's a lot to kick off this episode. I know that's a thick sandwich. Um, but you know, I, I think, in times like this, what I always default to is it's try it's time to try new things. It's time to do things differently. And I feel excited because I later today I'm about to dive a little bit deeper into uh, our sponsor, which is Embody Me. They have this great website called embodyme.live, E-M-B-O-D-Y-M-E dot live, L-I-V-E. And it's an online wellness platform. And I feel like there's a lot of things that I want to get deeper into, Whitney. And for you, dear listener, we have a free seven-day trial and a 20% off your first month when you use the code WELLEVATOR. That's our brand, our website. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And the cool thing, Whitney, that I think I'm ready to jump into, they offer um, EFT tapping classes and they offer meditation classes that are specifically structured to get into feeling trapped by limited beliefs, feeling trapped by feelings of unworthiness, which I'm definitely swimming in today. And trying to figure out different ways to frame this feeling I have that I don't have enough time to take care of myself. I don't have enough time to even sleep in because I feel like I'm being ground into the dirt by my clients and my business and everything. Like I'm just in such survival mode right now. 
So it's like, how do I overcome this feeling of being deflated? How, how do I overcome these feelings of feeling guilty? And when I say overcome, it doesn't mean like ignoring them or devaluing those feelings, but acknowledging I feel trapped, acknowledging I feel unworthy, acknowledging that I feel ground into the dirt by this hustle culture. And what do I do with that? So I, I'm excited to try. I personally want to try today like an EFT class and a meditation class because I need some new frameworks and perspectives on how to deal with all these things. And for me, I think one of the ways I get caught up, Whitney, and I was actually talking to our mutual friend, Jackie, last night. And she's like, yeah, dude, you, you've been like spending too much time on your own and trying to figure this out without like anyone's support externally which is kind of an old habit system of mine. I can figure it out. I'll get through it. I don't need anyone's help. So the idea of taking a live class with Embody Me, um, basically you go and you log in, you get that free seven-day trial, you get 20% off your first month if you use the code Wellevator. As you dig in, you will find a schedule of live classes. I think they have less on the weekends. They have more during the week, but it's live classes that you do virtually over your computer. So I am going to dig in whether or not I can, you know, find the right class for me this weekend or maybe early this week. I just feel like I'm so frustrated with everything right now, Whitney, that I need some new tools and I need some perspectives from other people that are probably going through the same thing. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we even do this podcast is just to share what's going on with our lives, our consciousness, our perspectives, our struggles, that maybe you, the listener or the watcher can resonate with these feelings. So this whole idea, Whitney, I want to get your perspectives because I know in the past, many episodes ago, we have talked about your, I don't want to say struggle, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your, your challenges with how against the mainstream, your sleep schedule has been in different parts of your life and how I think I remember you said, you know, you've, you've been feeling judged by certain people based on your sleep schedule. So I know that this idea of rest and sleep and doing things that are against the societal or cultural norms are something you've definitely thought about and you've wrestled with. So how do you feel about everything? <laughs> I'm sure, because that was a lot, but I don't know. I just find myself strangely wrestling with like these guilt feelings, these shame feelings, feeling like I'm not doing enough. It's exhausting. I just feel exhausted right now. Well, I can definitely relate. It's interesting right now because I'm having a bit of the opposite experience where in order to prep myself for the big road trip I have coming up, which is two weeks from today as of the day of this recording, normally on my road trips because I want to cover a lot of ground each day. And also I'm visiting national parks. And the biggest recommendation that I've seen across the board for national park visits is to get up early because you can beat the crowds, you can have more time to explore. But also people talk about how amazing it is to watch the sunrise. That's also when the wildlife are out. So I planned, luckily, months in advance for this trip. And as part of my planning, I have been waking up early. And my goal is to keep waking up early until I get to 6am. Now, mind you, I'm someone who would typically and kind of like naturally wake up around 10am. Sometimes it'd be later, sometimes earlier, but like 10am has been my average. And I think that that's what my rhythm is. And I and 
One thing I think we've discussed a bit on the show, I know I know a while back when we were recording in my closet, <laughs> back when we used to do the podcast in person, I talked about, I remember very specifically how I said, if sleep, like if I think you'd found like a study or something, Jason, about either like certain hours not being great for longevity or like sleeping too much not being good for longevity. And on that episode, I said, well, I'd rather enjoy my sleep and live a shorter life if it wasn't like significantly shorter, you know? And you were like, what? That's crazy. And I was like, yeah, because I want to enjoy the present moment. So this is what I'm going to get to in a moment. But just to share more about where I'm at right now in mid-August 2021, right now I'm actually finding a lot of joy waking up early, which is really surprising to me. I think, though, it ties into what the reason is. Because I'm a big why person, I have a purpose for waking up early. My purpose is so that I can enjoy myself in in the future, but I'm also finding benefits in the present. So I've noticed a huge shift in the way I feel each day when I get up early because I feel like I have a head start compared to what I used to do. So now I'm up at least three hours earlier than normal. And it's like, oh, I don't feel as rushed like you're explaining, Jason, because I know that feeling so well is when I was would wake up around 10 a.m., depending on what my day was like, I would feel a bit rushed. I wouldn't feel like I had a lot of time in bed, which is something I've noticed tapping into my rhythm. I tend to like to spend the first hour of my day doing, quote, nothing. And to be honest, most of that, quote, nothing time is spent on TikTok. I just find so much joy. And you know, it's interesting too. It, this is going to tie into the conversation as well. Like, I've really been paying attention to, to like, and, and Jason, you have to remind me because I always get serotonin and dopamine confused. So when we're talking about something that gives you pleasure, like TikTok, for example, is it raising your dopamine, raising your serotonin, both? What is, what is it? I know you know the answer. Yeah, it's dopamine. Okay, yeah. so so an act like TikTok that brings someone like me joy is raising my dopamine. Yeah, because dopamine is pleasure. It's the it's the chemical messenger that's responsible for pleasure. So, and then what is serotonin then? Serotonin is well, serotonin is also a feel good chemical, right? But it's different. Like so, dope dopamine is like a it's like pleasure and reward center. But then again, serotonin also does that too. But serotonin is is different in the sense that it it's like mood and well-being, whereas dopamine is like more reward. Does that make sense? Got it. Okay. So serotonin is like well-being, all is well. It's a mood stabilizer. Dopamine is like, I did something. I got a reward for this. Fuck yeah. Ooh, I feel good. Like mm. serotonin is more chill, I would say and relaxing, whereas dopamine is like an, it's like more of an achievement thing. Interesting. Okay. Then I'm almost unsure which one to use for TikTok for an example. Maybe using TikTok raises my serotonin. It almost sounds like, do you think? Or no? Well, I'm not at like accomplishing anything by <laughs> using TikTok most of the time. But serotonin is like, it's like a, it's like a mood stabilizer. So serotonin usually like reduces depression, regulates anxiety stimulates nausea, maintains bone health. It helps with bowel movements, sleep. So I don't, I, I think, I think dopamine sounds a little more accurate when we're talking about social media. Serotonin does not, un, unless you feel less anxious and less depressed 
and feel more stable in your mood afterward, then I would say it's serotonin. But uh, I don't think that that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's like, you know, it's interesting because I I have really gained a lot of perspective on social media over time. I go, I have a lot of emotions that are constantly changing around it and not to get too tangential here. But the reason I bring this up is I know that I experience a lot of pleasure using TikTok. And I get pleasure in the morning from coffee, but like, I like to kind of feel into when I drink coffee. Like I don't, coffee is not something like I automatically do. It's something I know I enjoy and I do have most mornings, but I like, I can wait. I can prolong my coffee drinking. But TikTok, I find like, I know it's it's like a little bit of an addiction or maybe it is an addiction where like when I wake up and I'm laying in bed, I'm like, oh, I want something pleasurable. Oh, TikTok. Like I feel like that's what's going on with my brain. Now, of course, TikTok could cause me to feel anxious or depressed or, you know, depending on the content, it's really rolling the dice because you don't know what you're going to get when you open it up. But that's part of like pleasure. The reason I bring this up is not not to talk about social media. It's it's to talk about like how there's a lot of perspectives on morning routines. And actually, when I was looking through the class schedule for Embody Me, they do have classes specifically in creating morning rituals. But this does kind of tune into the conversation in the sense that like for so long people like don't use your phone first thing in the morning or right before you go to go to bed. But there's like almost like a rebellious side of me where I'm like, well, it it makes me feel good. Now, I don't want to be dependent on it. I don't want to be addicted to it. But right now in my life, I experience a lot of joy. It's like it feels like a little jump start to my day, almost like a drug. So it's like I'm aware that it's not the best behavior for me. But I am bringing this up because sometimes we do things that other people don't recommend that we do. But if they bring us joy in the present moment and we're aware and it's we have some sort of control around it, then like what's so bad about that, right? And that ties kind of into sleep. Now, that aside, going back to waking up early, I found that waking up early has been helpful for me lately because now I feel like I don't feel as guilty about spending an hour or so in bed relaxing, watching TikToks or doing something, you know, making coffee, whatever else I'm doing in the morning. I feel like I can like ease myself in more. I feel like I can, you know, get on my email before the flood comes in. Like it's an ease that I didn't have an experience at the 10 a.m. wake up time, which I'm really enjoying. And I'm wondering how long I'll sustain it. Now, knowing myself, I probably won't sustain it. And going back to this question, Jason, it reminds me a lot of intuitive about, it reminds me of intuitive eating in the sense that I'm also coming to believe that our bodies tend to go towards a certain weight that is based on a lot of factors that we can't really control, but we try to control it through exercise and diet and lifestyle choices. But like our bodies have this intuition and this natural state that maybe if we stop fighting would be better for us, but we usually fight it because of societal standards. So it's kind of like intuitive sleeping could be the same thing. And I, over time, have had to push through the judgments people have on my sleep schedule, whatever it is, because it fluctuates just like my eating style fluctuates a lot. I have to know that if I'm I'm doing it out of like some sort of 
purpose or some sort of intuitive flow that that's my own and not others, right? And I think about this a lot in terms of food, in terms of fitness, in terms of all these wellness practices that, again, as we've said many, many times on the show, there's no one size fits all. So anyone who's like trying to tell us like this is the ideal way to do it, it's like for who? You know, unless it's like a scientist, a doctor, and like I'm getting multiple opinions and they're all the same and all lining up and they're truly custom to me. Maybe then I would feel like, all right, I should probably do things this way. But like I said a while ago in that sleep episode, I mentioned it's okay with me ultimately if like some of these choices shave off a year or whatever off my life because that's a year that I'm not even guaranteed. The only thing I'm guaranteed is the present moment. So if in this present moment, I'm truly enjoying something based on like my intuitive flow, then like that's more important than trying to do all of these optimization things to please other people when we don't even know for sure. So much is constantly changing in what we understand about our bodies. And as we've talked about recently too, we're the climate's changing so much. So like who even knows that we're going to have the luxury of living to a certain age just in case we get that extra year of the cumulative effect of all these decisions that we're making that maybe we don't even want to make in the moment. Does that make sense? So that thought process in this time of my life is like, hey, why don't I just focus on like the present moment and like the near future? Like the near future of how some decisions can add up to make me feel good. And do I want to make those decisions? Are they worth feeling good in the future? Right? Like the delayed gratification mindset of like, yeah, it's uncomfortable for me right now to wake up earlier and earlier every day. But I know it's going to be worth it because I'm easing my body into an earlier wake up time so that I can enjoy the traveling that I'm doing. That's that delayed gratification feels worth it for me. But in general, if I didn't have that in mind, then like maybe I should just wake up whenever I feel like it, you know? And I and I've also Jason, I wonder if this is helpful for you because I know that or I I should say I sense that some of the anxiety you have is is due to some of the work obligations you've taken on. And I've been experimenting more with setting boundaries, especially with my my freelance clients, you know, the other day, actually, I, I think it was just yesterday, my newest freelance client wanted, like, was inviting me to all these meetings. And I think this kind of seems similar to like the work environment you're in. And I sat there and I was like, I don't, A, I don't think I need to be at those meetings. And B, I don't really want to be at those meetings, not the best use of my time. And C, this is my opportunity at the beginning of this client relationship to set some boundaries. So I, I wrote and I said, hey, you know, I'm I'm happy to attend some meetings, but I want to let you know that I find them mentally draining and that impacts my productivity. So I would like to only attend meetings that are the highest priorities and limit meetings that are lower priorities. I'd be happy to watch recordings. I'd be happy to communicate with you before and after to make sure you have any information you need from me. And in crafting that email, I felt 
nervous and uncomfortable. And I, and I had this moment of like, well, what if this pissed off this new client? What if they decide they didn't want to work with me? But I realized in that moment that I was willing to lose that client to honor my boundaries because I would rather have clients that respect my boundaries and the way that I work than try to fit some mold And also I found a lot of people will continue to push your boundaries, especially in the beginning of working together or even in romantic relationships, right? I'm that way. I'm a boundary pusher. I will always kind of test the boundaries to see what I can get away with. But I respect people that tell me what the boundaries are early because that that solidifies the relationship versus... When I when somebody allows me to cross their boundaries but resents me for doing it, it it destroys the relationship. Romantic friendship, work environments. I've been on both sides of that. So I want to honor the person that I'm working with and saying, these are the hours that I will be reachable. This is what I would like to do with my time and how I will best spend my time. This is how basically letting them know how we can set up the dynamic for success so that I can thrive, not just like survive through pushing myself in ways that don't really feel good to me. And I think, Jason, that's like what I am curious if you're open to doing, you know, and would that help you out? Like, what if you're discovering right now intuitively that right now, you may need to sleep in late some certain days. And could you communicate that to others and say, you know, I'll be available. I'm guaranteed to be available after this time, but before that time, I may or may not be available basically. And that gives you some leeway because I think what you're describing is your body is asking you to rest, but yet your mind is like, afraid to rest almost. Yeah, it's it's body versus mind, absolutely, because my mind comes up with all of these reasons for needing to get things done. But you know what? It's it's never fully done. Nothing is ever fully done. It's this bizarre loop where I think that there's this fallacious idea that I'm somehow going to get everything done. And I know it's not true because there's always more to do. You know, there's, I need to, you know, scoop out the litter boxes. I need to take the dog for a walk. I need to clean the dishes. I need to write that email. I need to pay those bills. I need to send in my taxes. I mean, life is such that I think what I'm struggling with, Whitney, as I go on in life in general, is feeling like sometimes, how do I even describe this? Everything has just become a task on a list. Like everything in my life feels like it's just a task on a list. Even stuff that shouldn't feel, and I say shouldn't, I'm I'm very careful using that word. Even like leisure activities, things that I feel like ought to bring me joy, feel like things that I need to scratch off my to-do list. Like just everything in life feels like a to-do list. And it's it's honestly heartbreaking. And I think one of the reasons that I feel so exhausted and needing so much rest is because everything feels like work. Even play feels like work. Even carving out time to do something that would be considered play feels like work. (laughs) So like, I think I'm exhausted because nothing feels playful. 
I feel very little joy in my life. And even the stuff that I think ought to bring me joy feels like work because I'm so tired and the effort to even, I just, I feel like I'm caught in such a toxic loop right now and I don't know how to get the fuck out. Re- truly. Like I, I feel like I'm in just a loop where everything feels like it requires so much effort and so much work to accomplish. And then when I do have downtime and I do have the ability to sleep in on a Saturday morning, it's like I feel awful for doing it. It's a, it, it, it's almost like I don't know where the release valve is in life right now because everything feels heavy, everything f- feels full of pressure, and everything feels like work, and it's scary. And I think I have to try new things because what I'm doing isn't working. If everything feels like work and everything feels full of pressure and everything feels heavy, then clearly I have to do something new. Right. So I, it goes back to our, again, our sponsor that we mentioned, this wonderful online wellness platform, Embody Me, because they have things that I've never done before. They have different wellness classes. Uh, I know I mentioned, you know, previous in the episode, I haven't done a lot of EFT. I think I've taken like two classes in my entire life, Whitney. And I just, I never really gave it the time to, I guess, go deep enough to look at some of these limiting beliefs. Like, what, wh- a big one for me right now is like, maybe I'm a workaholic. Maybe I am, you know, and, and, and if I have the opportunity to examine that belief or that framework of workaholism, because if everything feels like work right now and everything feels heavy, I might be a closet workaholic. I've never actually even like considered that for myself, but maybe I need to go deeper into that. Maybe I need to explore what that means and, and what the framework of that system is inside my mind. So with these classes with you know, EFT, tapping, meditation, mindfulness. One thing I want to dig into with, with, with embody me and trying these classes out is maybe I have a belief system that I have to destroy myself to make life feel worth it. Maybe I have a belief system that I have to, you know, be the hardest worker and outwork everyone to feel like I've earned it. Oh, I've earned my money. I've earned my praise. So I'm excited to you know dig into this. So again, uh, if you, dear listener, want to check out Embody Me, their website is embodyme.live, E-M-B-O-D-Y-M-E dot live. You can get a seven-day free trial, 20% off your first month of this online wellness platform. They have yoga, they have mindfulness, they have meditation, they have EFT, and they also have empowerment for entrepreneurs and financial resources if you want to start your own business you want to have a business with purpose, with passion, with direction, something that's going to help uplift the world, help people like me. <laughs> they offer just so many empowerment resources. So check them out and you can use the code WELLEVATOR, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, to again, get that seven-day free trial and 20% off your first month. Um, but it, in this whole workaholic conversation, Whitney, and this whole belief system, again, I don't know that I've ever put that label on myself, but I'm starting to wonder with how much I obsess over things that need to be done and how much I obsess over feeling bad about taking breaks. I wonder if I am I, like, what the fuck is even a definite? I don't even know what the definition of a workaholic is. Like well, I, while you look this up, I I'm fascinated, Jason, because I haven't heard you verbalize this in the way that you're doing it in the moment. Um, because the way that you're describing this reminds me so much of my sister. And we were talking about this recently. She actually started going to therapy 
and she'd already been doing it, but like talking to her therapist about this. And I'm kind of curious if you've addressed this with your therapist or if you plan to, Jason. But her therapist was recommending Brene Brown's work. And um, there's a, a newer book that I don't think Brene Brown wrote. I feel like there's these two women. While while you're reading your workaholic definitions, I'll find the name of this book. I think it's just called like something. It has the word burnout in it that her therapist recommended that I'm going to check out too. It's on my queue. And I've been really interested in burnout for the millennial generation, but you're not technically a millennial, Jason, so, but it, you're kind of on that cusp. So it shows how some of the the other generations you know, have same experiences. But one thing that shocked my sister, and, and I'm curious about if you reflect on this, Jason, so I'll ask you the same question and based on the reflections I had with her is as we were discussing her workaholic tendencies and how she really struggles with rest, like I remembered growing up and my sister was terrified to wake up late. She felt like sleeping in meant that she was wasting the day. And she was like that as a little kid. And also, I have this memory that caused me some sadness. Like I, you know, it was like a bonding moment. Uh, and I told my sister about this and she, we hadn't talked about this in years, but I, there was this movie coming out, a Disney movie. Um, and I had recently got my license. My sister is significantly younger than me. And I surprised her and picked her up from school in my car. And I surprised her by taking her to the movie theater right after school. And I'd planned this whole day for her. And it was sad for me because the entire time we were there, my sister was panicking about the fact that we went to the movies during the day. And she was like, I'm really glad that you took me to this movie, but I wish we had gone at night because now I feel like I'm wasting my whole day here at the movies. And she was probably like 10 years old or something, you know, and somewhere in that age range. And I told her about this recently and she was like, A, did not remember this experience, but she was like shocked that I was providing evidence of her having these feelings since as young as 10, maybe younger. Cause it, I remember at the time it didn't really surprise me that she responded that way. I was sad because here I was thinking I, she was going to be so excited that I took her to the movie theater, but instead of being able to enjoy it, similar to kind of what you're describing, Jason, she couldn't enjoy it because she was so concerned and like, I don't even know what she wanted to do. Like, obviously, she didn't have a job. <laughs> She's 10 years old. Maybe I don't think she wanted to do schoolwork either. Like, it was like something else that she felt the need to do, like a panic. Like, maybe she wanted to go home and play. But maybe, maybe to, you know, this didn't even occur to me. Like, I want to ask her this next, Jason. And in the meantime, I'll ask you, maybe to her play did feel like work. So with you saying like even play does not feel like play, it feels like work to you, perhaps that is a characteristic of a workaholic where she needed to get home and have her playtime during the day. Otherwise, she felt like she wasted the day. And it was this panic of like not having enough time. 
And this is something I've heard a lot of people express in our age ranges, millennials and um, your Gen X, right, Jason? Is that what a... Yeah, I'm a cusper though. I'm I'm close to that border <laughs> of el- of of elder millennial early Gen X. Okay, cuz millennials are Gen Y. So XYZ, okay. Um Yeah, like that's a common thing of the you know, many generations, maybe just generations that grew up with boomer parents, I don't know, but like this idea of not having enough time and always having to squeeze out every moment of the day has infiltrated us to the point where someone like me who doesn't really feel that way, I feel the pressure from other people. So I'm like, oh shit, maybe I do need to wake up at sunset or sunrise because then I can get the whole day and all the daylight. But the truth is I don't really care that much. I do care in the context of my upcoming trip, but most days I don't care when the sun rises. I don't need to be up that early. I actually enjoy being up at night after the sun sets. So why do I have to conform to that? So let me bring it back to you, Jason, given what I shared about my sister. Does that resonate with you? And and mostly, do you remember as a kid what you were like? Is it possible that you've been like this for a long time? Or do you think this is like a new experience for you? Here's what I think. And I had this thought as I was in my own inner turmoil this morning, beating myself up for sleeping in. I think that one thing that has been motivating me to, I suppose, externalized success, but mental detriment has been this idea that I have never fulfilled my potential. There's always been this sort of background music of you have all this talent, you have all of these gifts, you have all these people that believe in you and support you and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like I've never lived up to my potential. And I feel like that that has motivated me almost like almost like a chip on my shoulder, but not quite the same. Because I think a chip on my shoulder would more be like people telling me I can't do something or I won't do something or I'll fail at something. This is a bit different because I feel... I had a memory this morning before we started recording that I hadn't thought of in years. And it's an example of this idea of not living up to my potential and how that I've used that in in maybe a toxic and negative way a lot of my life. Uh, I remember years ago, Whitney, when we went to, I think it was the first time you and I were at Expo East together, Natural Products Expo East. That was 20... 2013. 13. It was during our our road trip with uh, the Ford Fiesta. Right. I remember meeting Chris and John from the Vegan Zombie for the first time. That was 2012 then. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) It's all a blur. Uh, One of the things that John said to me, I'll never forget. Well, I'll never forget. I clearly did forget for a little while because I hadn't thought about it in years. Uh, We were just talking about... YouTube. I mean, 2012 was still very much the early days of YouTube. It had been around for seven years at that point, but it's not what it is now. Okay. And I remember John looking at me and uh, he said something to the effect of like, God, I don't know why you don't have more followers. 
Like, I don't know why you don't have more subs, dude. He's like, you're, you're, you're amazing. And you put out all this great content and you, you got, you know, and I remember at that time I had gotten the green light to shoot the pilot for my series on cooking channel. And that was public and people, you know, John just had these like, why, basically, why aren't you bigger and more famous and more popular? Right. It was kind of that. And I'm like, I wish I had a fucking answer for you, John. I wish, you know, it's like when people like, when people ask you something like that, like, why aren't you bigger? Like, how the fuck do I answer that question? I remember at the time, like, that's an awkward thing to ask someone, but it sat with me and it sat with me because I feel like my entire life, if you talked, you asked about childhood, I have had this element, Whitney, of not living up to some potential, either my own self-created potential or what I thought I needed to accomplish to be loved and acknowledged and appreciated, or other people like that conversation with John, which I've had different versions of that over my life of, hey, why didn't you get a better grade? Or why didn't this do better? Or, you know, why didn't the TV show keep going past like some shit like that my whole life? And I'm like, it's always the same. Like, I don't know how to answer that question. (laughs) So I think that I've been fueled by some amorphous idea that I need to be better, that I need to be more successful, that I need to be more influential. And I think I'm just at a point, Whitney, where that stuff is kind of crumbling now in a way that I'm looking at it deeper. And I often wonder if I'm not motivated by not enoughness and I'm not motivated by this idea that I have to reach some lofty goal of achieving my potential if I'm not motivated by these things that I've been motivated by for decades of my life, I don't know what I'm going to be motivated by anymore. And that's kind of scary because we get habituated as humans. What motivates us, what fuels us, what we're passionate about. But when we find maybe those motivations and that fuel and those passions are linked to things that are not healthy for us on a mental, physical, or spiritual level, where do we go from there? And I think overall, Wit, I'm in a place of I don't know what's next. If I don't want to be motivated and I've acknowledged those motivations are toxic and debilitating, I feel like I'm a little bit in a void right now to answer your question. It also reminds me of our conversation with Celeste, who wrote the book Do Nothing, which is just one of the best books I've read. I read that about a year ago and I could read it again. Like It's so good. And and we'll link to that episode with Celeste. And it's fascinating, Jason, because no matter how many books I read on this, it's still a, a tough thing to work through. You know, and I know that you we've had countless conversations about this. You've done a lot of work and it's really it's really tough. I think that's why therapy is incredibly important. And and that brings me back to the question I had for you earlier, which is have you talked to your therapist about this? And why not? Well, I haven't because I I don't think that I've been able to verbalize it or put it in a framework that I wanted to bring to him. You know, this this conversation that we are having in real time on this podcast episode in this moment, I think that I'm verbalizing and creating frameworks for communicating it that I haven't previously. That's why I haven't brought it to him because- Well, thank goodness you have the full transcript. You can just copy and paste (laughs) the transcript and give it to your therapist. (laughs) Hey, Gary, what do you think about this? Here, just, you know, take time to read this, get back to me. But I've never considered like, oh, Gary- who is my therapist, you know, I might be a workaholic and I've never considered that as an option. What do we do about it? But, you know, it's always tricky when we dig up, you know, studies and things on the, you know, the internet is dubious, but nonetheless, I did bring up an article 
on Forbes.com, Whitney, called Seven Signs You May Be a Workaholic. So I want to just kind of, you know, dive into this real quick. I don't want to, you know, read a, a massive article, but apparently workaholism has been studied for 45 years. Didn't know that. Yeah, high pressure environments, overwork, deadlines, blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit. Consumerism. Okay. Let's see. Dangers of being a workaholic. Yeah. Productivity decreases, relationships break down, the stress takes a cumulative effect, and the addiction can increase health risks and even contribute to premature death. Wow. That's pretty hardcore. That's pretty hardcore. Interesting. People identified as workaholics, Whitney, ranked high in terms of these personality traits. Ready for this? Agreeableness. Workaholics are more likely to be altruistic, generous, compliant, and modest. Neuroticism. Workaholics tend to be nervous, anxious, hostile, and impulsive. Intellect imaginative. Workaholics are generally inventive and action-oriented. The study on Forbes said that they found that younger workers were more likely to be workaholics. Interesting. Okay, so um, the work addiction scale, researchers in this study used seven criteria. I'm going to read them really quick because it's just seven bullet points to assess the likelihood that you may possess a work addiction. Number one, you think constantly about how you can free up more time to work. Number two, you spend much more time working than you initially intended. Three, you work in order to reduce feelings of guilt, anxiety, helplessness, fear, and depression. Four, you have been told by others to cut down on work without listening to them. Number five, you become really stressed if you are prohibited or limited from working. Number six, you deprioritize hobbies, play, leisure activities, and or exercise because of your work. And number seven, you work so much that it has negatively affected your health on a physical, mental, or spiritual level. Well, goddamn, do I identify with some of those? Yes, I do. Fuck, I might be a goddamn workaholic, Whitney. Fuck. Fucking hell. Why is this so... I mean, it doesn't really surprise me. I guess it does a little because I've never heard you describe it this way, but I'm also not surprised. Why do you feel like it surprises you and why is it upsetting you to discover this about yourself? I think it's upsetting to even consider it as a possibility because people who I know personally who call themselves workaholics are aware of their workaholism and almost kind of celebrate it or don't do a thing to change it. They're just like, yeah, it is what it is. It's how I'm wired. I'm just a workaholic. But for me to have a framework that that may be an aspect of my personality, it makes me afraid. It makes me afraid because I don't want work to consume my life. I don't. But if I really look at some of these, like deprioritizing leisure activities, deprioritizing play, it's like I barely work out. I barely play music. I barely do anything fun. I feel like I am stuck in this miasma of fear and pressure to get shit done all of the time. And I think it, it bothers me, Whitney, because on a soul level, I don't think that is how humans ought to live. I think that is unnatural. I think it's unhealthy. 
it's certainly not how I want to live. So it's almost like it's almost like waking up to like, oh, I might have, I might be living under a construct I wasn't aware I was even living under. As opposed to what I said, where people know they're a workaholic, they acknowledge it and celebrate it and don't give a shit. They're just going to keep being work- like for me, it's almost the shock of, oh, am I a closet workaholic and didn't know it? That's why I'm a little bit upset and shocked by it. Does that make sense? Like, oh shit, I didn't know that this was a framework I might be living under. And it's my judgment around it that like, I don't want to be a workaholic. To me, that has a negative connotation to it. Because I observe other people in my life that I know that are, quote, workaholics, and they don't seem like they have a lot of balance in their life. And they default to some addictive behaviors to compensate for the sadness and the emptiness they feel because they're working so much. To and, and I get it. Like, the people I know who are workaholics make a ton of money. I don't, I don't know many people who are self-admitted workaholics that are, like, scraping by. Interestingly, and this is a small subsegment because it's my life we're talking about the people I know, people I know that are quote workaholics and acknowledge their workaholism, they make so much money. And I wonder if that is part of it is that, hey, if I want to keep banking and keep making this cash, I just have to keep the machine going because it's the fear that if I don't keep the machine going, I won't make all this money. It's almost like the deeper you go and the more money you make, there's a propensity to feel even more trapped by it. And I'm not making that much money right now, all things considered, right? But I even feel trapped. So to your point, I do want to bring it to Gary during my next therapy session and be like, hey, I kind of had an interesting realization and I wonder if it could be true. And if so, what do I do about it? I've never even broached that conversation with him before in seven years. Well, then I'm glad that you're uncovering this because it feels like it's a big thing for you. And maybe you've helped others who are listening to uncover the same thing. You know, I pulled up that some notes from that book that I had mentioned. It is actually just called Burnout. <laughs> and um, this was the one that my, my sister recommended to me via her therapist. Um, so I have not read it yet, but I did find some, some little summaries of it. And one thing that felt like it resonated based on some things you had said earlier, Jason, is that self-compassion is difficult because we believe if we stop beating ourselves up, we'll lose motivation and become complacent or lazy. Bing fucking O. Yeah, it's it's almost like this default mechanism of I have to push myself because and, and it's also, you know, from my perspective too, um, sort of a a a a twisted self-parenting sort of archetype because I didn't have my father around growing up and I didn't necessarily, my, it's like my, my mom didn't like push me. Right. So it was almost like this thing I developed of if no one's going to push me, I got to push myself. Fuck. So it's almost like I adopted this overbearing parent archetype that I never had because my mom wasn't overbearing and my father wasn't around, but it's almost like there was this psychological hole where I wasn't being um, motivated or in, or not encouraged. My mom was encouraging verbally, but it's almost like th- this whole thing of pushing yourself you described in the book, Whitney, was an overcompensation for not having that presence in my life. So I took on that role of parent and child trying to parent myself, but in a toxic and unsustainable way by being unkind to myself. <laughs> like that. that's real. That's absolutely... 
something that resonates for me as a, as a, as a compensatory mechanism as a child. It's like, well, no one else is pushing me. You're a piece of shit, Jason, do better. Fuck you. Do better. You're not good enough. Do better. Like it was this weird, I don't know where I got, like, I think about this sometimes. I have no idea where that came from because I don't have in my memory, a family member who had that sort of persona in childhood. So maybe that was a thing from media or society, or I don't know where the fuck it came from, but that absolutely resonates with me. Well, it also brings me back to this memory you have from John saying those things to you because this, that it's part of the not enoughness equation. Like, (laughs) In a way, he was saying, like, well, how come you don't have enough? And or that's how you interpret it. And I'm sure he didn't mean that. I mean, John has such a great heart. He was probably just curious. And I his curiosity, I think, stems from the curiosity I had. I mean, I probably said those things to people because for a while I was in this mindset of like, if you just do this, you're going to get that. And if you if you do these things online, you'll get this many subscribers. It was like this formulaic approach to my career, which I just don't resonate with anymore because I've tried a lot of things over the years and this does not always equal that. And maybe in his head, he, it's it's like that one size fits all approach. He's like, wow, you're doing more than I am with my YouTube channel, but we have more followers than you. So how does that work out? And I'm sure it's just, it's not meant to be like rude by any means. It's just a pure curiosity. But b- when people ask those questions, this is why we have to be really careful about how we phrase things to people because they can be very triggering you know, and it's, it's kind of like, um, this is a bit of a tangent, but because I brought up the weight stuff earlier, it's like when people will comment like, oh my gosh, you look so great. Whether they're commenting on like what you're wearing or how you look or, or what your weight is. It's like, they're comparing you to what you were before. And then you're like, oh, was, so I look better in this moment than you perceived me in the past. And And does that mean that my past was not good enough? And do I now have to maintain how I look right now in order to feel enough around you? And similarly, I think that plays out with work too. It's like, are you getting great results compared to the past? It's it's like a big comparison trap, ultimately. It's, It's just somebody comparing you to yourself or you to someone else and I think that's something I really want to see shift, Jason, because perhaps that would be helpful, is if we recognize that life is is so fluid, it's not stable, it's constantly changing, and there's it's really hard to predict the changes. And once you re- achieve something, there's no one guaranteeing that you will maintain whatever you've achieved. Your value that you achieve will fluctuate. And it's kind of interesting because earlier I was getting deep into cryptocurrency um, and I'm really trying to expand my knowledge on that, uh, especially because I I now have a my own cryptocurrency. For those that don't know, side note, I have a, a cryptocurrency coin called the Wellcoin. And um, if you're interested, I'll put the link in the show notes because I'm I'm very passionate about like new ways of financial well-being. 
for me and for others. So I'll talk more about that some other time. But you know, I've been studying cryptocurrency, Jason, and one thing I was noticing is like how volatile crypto cryptocurrency is. Like we really have no idea. We have evidence of like how some cryptocurrency has done in the past, but like there's no guarantee that it'll continue to do well. And I think that scares a lot of people away from crypto. But then at the same time, nothing is guaranteed. Even the old traditional forms of making money or, or investing money, like absolutely no guarantee. Maybe they feel a little easier to predict right now, but at any moment that could change. And then we also look at inflation and how much that changes the value of things over time. So in a way, like your numbers on social media used to be impressive, but may not be impressive now because the inflation quote of things changing in value over time. So we become very attached to our old value or our current value as if that guarantees will still be valuable in the future. But we have no idea. And the opposite can be true too. You could not feel valuable now, but in the future feel really valuable. I go through that phase all the time with my career. And it's in a way comforting because you're like, well, it's all fluctuating. Our bodies are fluctuating. Our minds are frustrating. The pl- I mean, the fluctuating. <laughs> the planet's fluctuating. The economy's fluctuating. Everything is fluctuating. And as human beings, that's very scary because it feels unstable. But if we just accept the fact that it's fluctuating, maybe it actually brings us more peace. So to me, that makes sense logically, Jason. But at the same time, logic is not the answer to what you're feeling right now. Because you already have a lot of this logic. It makes logical sense to you. You're nodding your head. But that doesn't mean that it's like going to make you feel better. Yeah, that's the thing about, I think, systemic beliefs and limiting beliefs and programming is they. I have found they are very resistant to logic in the sense that I could take inventory of my life and go, you are enough. Look at the things you've accomplished. Look at who you are, your health, your friends, your relationships, your loved ones. You have a roof over your head. You have these things. You have money. You know, we, can, we can do sort of a logical inventory of looking for evidence that is counter to the limiting beliefs. But that's, uh, that, that's not the whole equation. You can't out-logic a pattern that has existed for decades of your life. Well, oh, good. I, I, yeah. You know what? There is all this evidence against it. For me, some people that might work. For me, that has not had a long-term net effect. What has is when I start to put things into practice, right? It's almost like, how do I give an example of this? If I notice there's a situation that would trigger me emotionally, right, where I would react in a way that might be violent, aggressive, angry, things like that, and a situation like that will arise that is very similar that would have caused that reaction or that trigger, and I respond differently to it, to me, that's that's a moment where I can go, oh, okay, yes, did you acknowledge the fact that you responded in a different way to that thing that previously triggered you and that you negatively or violently responded or reacted rather in the past to it? So going back to the very beginning of what sparked this episode of my work is 
if I allow myself to rest and sleep in and that old program of you're not good enough, you should be working harder, everyone's outworking you, everyone's making more money, everyone's got some more social media followers to go, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, I am enough exactly as I am. I hear that voice. I know where it's, it's almost like also knowing where it's coming from, Whitney, because I think that that part of my psyche is somehow trying to protect me in the sense that there's a false belief system almost in like this childlike, this part of my brain that where this belief system was formed in childhood that, oh, if I just have enough love and popularity and money, I'll feel safe and I'll feel secure. So it's almost like I'm almost deconstructing this in real time, like talking to that childlike part of myself and saying, I know what you're trying to do right now. I know you're trying to protect me. I know you're trying to keep me safe because you didn't feel protected and you didn't feel safe all those years ago. But I want to tell you, all the money in the world, all the popularity, all the fame, all the love is not going to be the thing that's going to make you feel safe. So can we work together to find something that will make us feel safe and secure sustainably and not be dependent, to your point, Whitney, on these constantly fluctuating external things? Because if I am trying to protect my, my part of my child's psyche with things that are constantly in flux and constantly in changing, investments, bank accounts, social media numbers, number of friends, popularity, all that shit, to your point, is constantly in flux. So how could I feel safe or secure in it? There's something else then, deeper, more soulful, that can lead to a feeling of safety and security. So it's almost like in those moments, having a deeper conversation with myself about like, let's not attach ourselves to those external things. Where else can we cultivate that feeling of safety and security from within, not dependent on all that bullshit? Well, that reminds me of two other quotes I wanted to bring up from the burnout book that go back to something you said earlier, Jason. It's that joy and happiness are not the same thing. There's a writer named Brittany Cooper who said that happiness is predicted on the happenings, on what's occurring, on whether your life is going right and whether all is well. Joy arises from an internal clarity about our purpose. And joy doesn't come from within because a sense of enoughness comes from our connection with others. We access joy when we connect with others through shared meaning. So I also wonder, Jason, maybe you feel disconnected and maybe you feel misunderstood. Is that possible? I feel completely disconnected right now. I feel like I have no community. I feel like I barely see anyone in person. I know, Whitney, but I, I feel disconnected on a level from everyone in my life right now. I really do. On a level, not completely disconnected, but if I think about it, I thrive on being with people, not through Zoom, not through the podcast, not through social media. Like all of that is a substitute. And I think the fact that I barely see people right now, I mean, I absolutely feel separate and disconnected from people right now. And I'm sure that's affecting, I know it's affecting my mental health. Absolutely. Well, another thing to look at, right? I mean, all you can do is continue to explore this. And one other thing I wanted to share from that book that ties back into the ultimate 
topic of today. The author Emily says, It's true that rest makes us more productive, ultimately. And if that's an argument that helps you persuade your boss to give you more flexibility, awesome. But we think rest matters not because it makes you more productive, but because it makes you happier and healthier, less grumpy, and more creative. We think rest matters because you matter. You are not here to be, quote, productive. You are here to be you, to engage with your something larger, to move through the world with confidence and joy, and to do that, you require rest. Yeah. I mean, that resonates for sure. I think it's just pra- it's practice like anything else, right? If I practice prioritizing rest, and to your point, it's almost like this, Whitney. There, there, I, I think that my rebellious part of my personality comes into play here a little bit in the sense that if I prioritize rest and rejuvenation and I communicate that to people and they either don't understand or more so don't respect that boundary, fuck them. Fuck them. Like, I'm not here to live for anyone else. I don't answer to anyone else. Like, that's that's my rebellious part of me. That's like, no, you're not going to tell me when I get to rest and when I don't. And, may, and may, maybe that's also me talking to that taskmaster part of, of the archetype I created internally of like, no, 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 you don't get to push me. And and uh, it is like, it, if I feel disconnected from my body, which I have, then why would I listen to my body? If my body's telling me to rest, if I feel disconnected. So then it's a practice of listening to my body. What do you want to eat? Do you need rest? Do you need to move? Do you need to be still? Like, I, I, I think what I want to practice kind of in conclusion, I mean, there's a lot I'm coming away from this conversation, but is to practice really listening to what my body is asking me for. Because I, I, I've been in a habituation of ignoring it to a, to a large degree. And I know intellectually that that's not a good thing or a healthy thing. But I, I think I think I want to practice listening to my body, you know, and people either whatever, they're going to understand or they won't, you know? But I, I, I think that's a big, big takeaway is I, I want to be a better listener and honor the requests that my body is making. Even if there's a part of my psyche that's like, you're lazy and you should be like, no, nah, my body needs this, okay? Shut the fuck up. We're taking a nap. <laughs> Speaking of naps, are you in a mode of being a nap taker right now, Whitney? And how do you feel when you take naps if you do? I took one recently. I took, (laughs) I'm someone that really struggles to take short naps. When I nap, it is best for me when I have the space to sleep for as long as I need. And the other day when I took a nap, I think I slept for at least two hours. So it, it did throw off my sleep schedule a bit. So I tend to avoid napping unless I really have a very open schedule and I can just sleep whenever and how for however long. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings. They're kind of like on a only when I really need them and generally I don't feel like I need them. But you know, it's that's what I mean about the intuitive side of it, you know. I think tapping into ourselves is so incredibly important. And speaking of which, I have been eyeing this embody me schedule 
because Jason and I are, are each going to be experimenting with some of the classes. We have an episode with the founder of Embody Me coming up, which is really exciting. Her name's Amber. So if you have not subscribed yet and this show resonates with you and you're curious about Embody Me, please subscribe so you get notified when that episode comes out. And you can also choose to subscribe to our newsletter where we keep you in the loop with everything that's going on and when things come out and articles. Jason's been writing beautiful blog posts. We have links to our show notes. So we make it as easy as possible for you. Everything is at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, including the details on how to get your free trial of Embody Me and the discount if you want to continue taking classes. Because if you look at the schedule, which you can do for free at embodyme.live, you can see what is coming up. So you can kind of time out your trial based on what classes you want to take and when. And if you want to do a whole month, you can lay that all out. You can also take the classes individually. So you choose what works well for you uh, based on your schedule and your budget. But just know that you get that free trial and we hope you take advantage of it to take at least one class. Uh, As Jason mentioned, he's looking forward to taking the EFT tapping, which I'm tempted to take too, but I also feel like maybe I want to take a different class. Another one that looks good for you, Jason, based on what you talked about, there is a plan your week with intention, which Amber does herself. It looks like she does it on a weekly basis. Uh, There's a manifestation morning ritual which might appeal. And there's a ton of yoga classes. Uh, There's even face yoga, which sounds pretty cool. Maybe I'll take that. That actually, that one I'm most curious about and like also think sounds really cool. The description says, you can bring your favorite face cream or moisturizer with you to class and it involves massage and exercises that stimulate the muscles, skin, and lymphatic system to soften and relax your face muscles to help alleviate tension, stress, and worry. Bingo. I'm going to take that class because I actually tend to store my stress in my face. And I went to a physical therapist or not. Well, she was a body worker. That's a better term. And she was noticing how much I was storing in my jaw because I get TMJ. So I'm going to take that class. I've already decided it. Great. And I have a ton of face creams and moisturizers, which I talked about in a recent episode of our private podcast, This Hits the Spot. I think that was episode eight. You can get free access to This Hits the Spot by signing up for our newsletter, which I mentioned. So that's a great perk. You get notified of everything, discounts and new episodes of both podcasts. And episode eight of This Hits the Spot, I went into deep detail on the different face creams and moisturizers and and brands that I really like. So go check that out if you're curious. And then I will report back after I take this face yoga class later this week. I'm really excited about that. Which one do you think you're going to take, Jason? Well, I was kind of dead set on the EFT, but now that you mentioned the setting intentions for the week, I think that that really ties into this idea that rather than having the week take control of me, I would rather be a little more intentional about how I want to spend my time because I think I've been sort of defaulting to, I don't know, being swept up in every... It's the feeling of like, all these people want stuff from me. Holy crap, how am I going to handle all this? Rather than being very intentional about how I'm blocking my time, how I'm spending my time. I don't know. I think it's a lot. It's part of a, a larger conversation, Whitney, of 
I rebel against structure, but then I realize I need a element of structure to do anything in life. <laughs> so maybe I, maybe I need to figure out a class called like life structure for rebellious people hosted by Jason Robel. I don't know. We'll see, but I am excited to take these classes. And, and again, whenever I feel stuck, it's always a sign to me that I need to try new things, practice new things, and get new tools and new perspectives on how to handle life. So with that, again, dear listener, if you want to join us on embodyme.live, you can get your first seven days free and 20% off your first month. Again, use the code WELLEVATOR, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com at embodyme.live. And maybe we'll see you in a class. It'd be great. I know we have some hardcore uh, listeners that are with us for every single episode. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see Nazanin in there. Maybe we'll see Tiff in there. Maybe we'll see a lot of our hardcore listeners. So if you want to join us in there, um, we'd love to see you in one of those classes. So with that, you can join our newsletter, as Whitney mentioned, join our private podcast. Everything is at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for being on this crazy roller coaster called life with us as we are figuring it out, all of us, in real time together. We'll see you for the next episode soon. Love you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.